This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The Montreal Open Goalball Tournament is taking place this weekend, and it's a big deal. Peter Parsons is the chair of Blind Sports Nova Scotia. He can tell you a little bit more. Hey, good morning, Peter. Great to chat with you once again. Good morning, Dave. Peter, I say it in the intro. It's a big deal. How big a deal is the Montreal Open Goalball Tournament? Well, it's one of the biggest tournaments we have in Canada. It's uh, an annual tournament that uh, that happens the last weekend in January every year. I've been going to it since uh, since I've been playing goalball. Um, it started back in 2000, and uh, you know it uh, attracts all the top teams from across the country. Um, and in the years past, it's been uh, had more of an international flavor. We've had teams from. Japan, Sweden, Australia that I remember, and lots of teams from the U.S. Um, however, this year, it's mainly, uh, it's all Canadian teams. So it's kind of like a preview to our nationals, which we're hosting oh, here in Halifax in May. So it'll be, it'll be interesting uh, to get to see where all the teams are at at this, at this point in the season. How much freedom do the teams have in terms of their composition for an event like this? Because it's an open. Are you restricted to playing with people from your province or can you form super teams? You could form super teams, but in this case, we have uh, all the provincial teams because I think all the provinces have the same thing in mind, which is preparing for nationals. Um, and so, yeah, where it isn't open, you could have a team of sighted players that, like that uh, decided to join, whereas at nationals, you're allowed one um, sighted player per province. Um, but yeah, but we don't get that actually, but I'm just saying you could, you could, yeah, have, yeah. Uh, if it isn't open. No, no, you'd still be blindfolded though. If you were sighted, right. Uh, come on. You still, you still got to play by the rules here. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen a lot of, a lot of sighted people try gold ball. That, like, that was way harder than I expected. Oh man. Yeah. I, I've, I've only been on the court a couple of times and I've told you this before my ribs the next day were destroyed. Like destroy, I've, I, I've felt sore after a number of sporting events and sporting activities in my life, but I don't think I've ever experienced like the true ache in my rib cage that I felt after mm-hmm. playing gold ball for one afternoon. Yeah, the body can definitely uh, take a pounding. And unlike the international tournaments where we have one game a day, um, in the tournament like this that happens over a weekend, where we have one game Friday evening and then four on Saturday, oh. and then uh, oh. then the semis and finals on Sunday. So, oh my God, P- Peter, you guys, you guys are wild people. You're wild people out there. Hey, so obviously, Peter, you're you're going to be there from a competitive point of view, but you're also doing a lot of work from an administrative point of view in terms of the program, both nationally and regionally. What are the storylines that you're following going into the Montreal Open? Yeah, I think it's, um, we have a lot of uh, younger athletes um, coming up uh, these days, in particular in, in, uh, in Nova Scotia. It, I'm really interested to see how our younger athletes compete at this level. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to, to see how the, uh, how the teams all 
shape up um, here in late January towards our nationals at the end of May, uh, or sorry, at the beginning of May, we have uh, another big tournament coming up in Vancouver um, in March, which will um, attract uh, international teams. I know there are uh, two teams from Brazil and like three teams from the U.S. that are coming to that one. Even though a lot of Paralympic qualification is already in the books, how does it being a Paralympic year impact events like the Montreal Open, the event you mentioned in Vancouver, or even the Nationals for you guys later in the year? Well, it definitely impacts it. Like at Nationals, for example, we're going to have a training camp attached to it. Of course, with the women qualifying for Paris, uh, that's big. And this Montreal Open is really the first tournament opportunity for those that are on the national teams um, since the pair of Pan Ams in Santiago. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, getting back into the, the full swing with the big push towards Paris 2024 for the women and for the men, it's, uh, you know, kind of a longer uh, quadrennial um, where yeah, we didn't yeah. qualify. So yeah, lots of um, lots of rebuilding on the men's side. And, and that's where it begins in it, to a degree, right? Like you're starting to try to crystallize what the next four years are going to look like based on these events, right? For Like you said, for the women, they've got a pathway to this Paralympics. But the men needs to need to figure out who they are, what they want to be, and what their path is for the next three years. Yeah, exactly. It's two different pitchers for sure on yeah. the men's and women's side. And we have uh, some good... Uh, young players coming up, like I said, on the men's side, and uh, the women really need to uh, put their all in for for Paris 2024. Yeah, just get dialed in completely. Uh, Peter, mm -hmm. when you say one game Friday, four games Saturday, and potentially two games on Sunday, and considering the physical toll, I, do you guys get to have fun when you're in Montreal, or is mm -hmm. it just all business? We get to have some fun, uh, sometimes maybe a little too much fun for some, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, because really, uh, really sleep is such an important, um, <laughs> important part of, um, of high performance, right? Sleep and hydration. So, you know, you can stay up late hydrating, but it might not be the type of hydration that you actually require as an elite athlete. Do, 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 you, do you guys stay downtown? Or are you in Laval, South Shore? Where do they put you guys up? Yeah, we're we're downtown Montreal, oh, so you even know more dangerous, right? You know, so it's also you know we get to get together only so often, and so there's a real uh, social component to uh, getting together with your friends from across the country who play goalball. But I always say to the guys, like you know. We could party after we win. Um, but yeah. <laughs> See, that's leadership right there through and through. <laughs> hey, uh, Peter, speaking of communities descending upon major Canadian cities, the mixed martial arts community descended upon Toronto over the weekend for UFC 297, an event that got a lot of media buzz, probably for all the wrong reasons that I do not want to get into this morning because I'll start cursing and swearing and uh yeah, I'm just going to leave it. I'm just going to leave it there. But uh, UFC 297, there was a changing of the title. There were a lot of decision wins. The event ended well after one in the morning. Uh, your takeaways from UFC 297. Well, I think the big takeaway, uh, as you mentioned, there was a changing of the title. And it was, uh, it was a great uh, main event fight. Uh, Drakus Duplessis is now the new champ. He's from South Africa. He... Um, he has a very well-rounded game. Oftentimes when you have like the best fighters in the world fighting each other, it doesn't always end up being the most exciting, but the main event was a very exciting 
fight and very dramatic close, as far as closely contested. Close, yeah, it was a split decision that, uh, you know, when Bruce Buffer was reading the scorecards and said, and you're waiting to hear a new or end still. And it was, uh, I was really cheering for Duplessis. So I was really happy to hear <laughs> and new. So yeah, it was very uh, exciting fight that was very closely contested, like you said. Um, and, uh, you know, the Canadians, the Canadians didn't fare the best on yeah. uh, on Saturday night. Unfortunately, um, they were two and seven. Uh, two of the wins being by the two Canadian women's fighters who beat the Brazilian opponents, who actually dominated their opponents and uh, won performance of the night bonuses, which was great for them. But uh, there was also two decisions that were really um well one was questionable brad katona who won the ultimate fighter two times the only person to do so from winnipeg he um he lost a decision that i thought he won but there was a complete robbery with um surrey city from um ontario who uh, originally from ukraine his parents moved over from ukraine when he was six years old it's quite a story they're both doctors and they moved over for opportunity for him i don't think they expected he was going to become an mma fighter but <laughs> yeah. he uh he ended up uh yeah he ended up losing a decision where he he lost the first round and he clearly won the second two rounds and he lost the split decision i had to go on this website that i always often checked mmadecisions.com which shows the media scoring and the media was 21, 21 um, media members scored it for him, 21 to zero. It was the unanimous wow, that wow. the media scored it for him. Because um, at the time I was like, I was in disbelief with the decision. And uh, and also to add insult to injury, his opponent missed weight by four pounds. Oh, double and whammy. So, double whammy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the, was, the, was tough. the scoring side of combat sports is still a really rough ride, Peter. It's one mm. of the things that I think really holds the sport back. Sometimes there's going to be a close fight, and, and you're going to find people feeling either way about a decision, but it really feels like the judging side of the conversation, this changes people's lives, right? To end mm. up being on the wrong side of a decision loss means you're getting half the pay for showing up for showing up to the event. You've now got that loss on your record. Your way up the ladder is going to be deeply compromised. There's got to be something figured out in regards to judging. I know it's a big question. You've only got about a minute here to answer it. Yeah, there really does. Like the, the 10 point must scoring system for one thing has been come in from boxing where they have many more rounds to work with. And also oftentimes in the past, especially had boxing judges judging MMA fights, but yeah, maybe they need more judges, maybe five judges instead of three open scoring has been brought up as a possibility. At least, you know, where you stand in the fight then yeah. going into after, the third so, round. So after every round, people would know who won the round. The judges would immediately have to report. Exactly. That's that's one of the ideas. And, and the um, counter argument to that is that fighters would stall, which I don't agree <laughs> with, because oftentimes you, you clearly know when a fighter's up two rounds to nothing, for example, and you don't see them stalling it out in the third round. Um, you know, you see the other fighter having to press more, but at least this way they know where they're at. Um, that That's an idea that I that I like, but I don't really see happening, yeah. though. Yeah. Peter, I, I love it when we get to dive a little bit into MMA, even though uh, the UFC mm -hmm. is currently an organization that I'm a little bit on the outs with. Uh, I like it when we get to dive into the combat sports world. Nice to know I'm not the only one out here in this, in this ocean bobbing around. Peter, thank you for this. Safe travels to Montreal. Have a great time. Thanks, Dave. That is Peter Parsons. He is the chair of Blind Sports Nova Scotia. That's all the time there is for the show today. Don't worry, things kick off again tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. Eastern time. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun.
Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.